All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this time that we have together. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would illuminate the meaning of your word today, that we would um, not just be here hearing words, but that we would be uh, hearing from you. Uh, May you speak not only to our minds, but to our hearts and show us, Lord, um, like how how this passage actually fits into our life and how we uh, should be living our lives according to the truth that you have given to us. Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. My temptation is to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 17, but we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses today. And so uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it kind of like unpacks sort of these directions, these, these two paths that you can go down, either uh, living according to your flesh or living according to the Spirit. And as we enter into verse 15, this is sort of the, like the, the I don't want to say the grand finale, but he's getting to his point about how important these things are and these truths, and he's pleading with us. And he says in verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, lead us now in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay, so the last I mentioned, I alluded to the last, I think it's been three weeks. Really, it's the last season has been very hard on me with, with my father passing away. Um, we, we went out to the Naval Academy to bury my dad at the Naval Academy and <clears throat> placing him into the wall and just kind of being there and uh, reflecting. And I've, I've shared in the past one of the, uh, it's not very spiritual, but one of, the, one of the things that has this like huge impact in my life Somewhere in my early 20s, somewhere uh, near the window when I came to Christ as Savior, um, my memory's not that great, so I, I don't know how, like a couple years in this window, but that, that song, Cats in the Cradle, if you're familiar with that song, you know, Cats in the Cradle, and blah, 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 and I don't, but it's this story of, of this, this father raising his son, but he was always too busy to be there for his son. And then when his son got older and the dad got older, then the dad had time, but he wanted to be with his son. But the, the son now was too busy, and he had become exactly like his dad. And, and it had this big impact on me because my dad and I, we had a very, very uh, I don't want to say different relationship. Probably the reality is we probably had a very normal relationship. But there was wounds, and there were scars, and there were things. And so I'm very grateful for the last seven years with my dad in his Alzheimer's uh, Alzheimer's, uh, for some people who have clean mouths and clean minds and stuff, they get real nasty because it's stuff that has been restrained their whole life. The thing that my dad had restrained his whole life was love. I mean, even his like very best friend who was roommate to the Naval Academy, that's what he shared is that my dad just sort of lacked the understanding and capacity to know what love was. And so in the last seven years, that's what sort of got unrestrained in my dad's Alzheimer's. So I'm really grateful for it. But uh, sit, sitting there, uh, sort of at the graveside, reflecting on my own life, 
the, the brevity of time that we have on this earth and what we do, like little decisions matter. Um, we got home late Monday night, uh, late Monday night, late Sunday night. It was, well, it was early Sunday morning, late Saturday night, however you qualify it. It was like one in the morning local time here. We were on East Coast time. And then I had committed to going out to Camp Julian Oaks because God last year really convicted me that I needed to participate in that. So, so I went out to Camp Julian Oaks with junior high kids with a very uh, empty gas tank. And it was a little bit tougher. Amen? Daniel and I bonded this week or that week. Um, and... By Tuesday night, I was like at my wit's end, and we have a little staff meeting. I'm like, guys, I'm ready to get my car keys and drive out of here. I, I'm going to kill a kid. Like, I can't take anymore. And then we kind of talked it out, and, and I was like, I'm like, in my flesh, I'm just going to drive away. I'm going to get my daughter, and we're leaving. And, but in my, in my character, I'm a guy of my word, and I said I would be here, so I'm going to be here. I'm not driving away, but I'm just letting you know I'm either going to kill a kid or leave. Like, I don't know which way it's going to go. And then I, the night ended, and, and uh, then I started texting Anna, venting about how horrible it was. And I, excuse my French here, but I texted her, I was like, I literally am in hell right now. This is like how bad it is. And then I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to text Rachel. Where's Rachel? <laughs> there she is, hiding in the corner, not in the corner, rotating her seats. So I text Rachel. Rachel has a heart for Camp Julian Oaks, and she's like, I can't go. And I text her at like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, Rachel, I need you to pray as though you got dropped in here as a counselor right now. <laughs> and so she gave me some input, and she was fine. And then I get back from camp, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of exhale. Tuesday, I end up with Anna in the emergency room all day. So in the midst of these last three weeks, I knew this, this passage would be coming. And so much of the last three weeks, there's been these things, like for all of us, there's hundreds of decisions and, and things we have to decide how we're going to respond or not to respond every single day. And I'm not convinced that we're always so thoughtful about the decisions that we make. Um, and in this passage, Paul is really going to speak to us about... Uh, being thoughtful about how we utilize uh, the, the time we have. And it's less about time, but more about the events that present themselves. It's like life is this river, and there's these things floating by us, and there are things we have to let go, and there are things that we have to let, grab. And once they're past, they're past. And so we come to verse 15. So then... The, these two words speak back to everything uh, previously. But in the immediate context, what was, what was covered last week was verse 14. And it says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And Paul's basically saying, wake up, recognize, not, not if you're sleeping right now, I speak, I only preach to those who are awake. I'm not, I mean to wake you up if you're sleeping, but like, wake, wake up, like, Wake up in the sense of realize that we are in the midst of things that are far greater than what meets the eye. There is a spiritual element to our lives that is happening all the time. 
And we sort of go through life sort of apathetically and not recognizing that these little decisions that we make have really eternal consequences. And, and he's saying, wake up. So, so then in light of this passage of, of waking up, O sleeper, and becoming aware of that which is around you, he says, be careful how you walk. Now, we'll get to the be careful, but the how you walk, this word has been used a number of times in Ephesians. This is the last time that Paul will use the word walk in the context of Ephesians. And so I thought it would be good to sort of look back and to see uh, how he used this word previously. He uses it sort of in a negative sense as, as something not to do, and he uses it in a positive sense, what he desires you to do. I didn't put all the verses up on the screen because I didn't want to scare you. Uh, but if you would go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, there we read, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So he's speaking to believers. This whole letter is to those who have given their lives to Christ. And so every single follower of Christ, pre-Christ in your life, this is you. This is me. We walked according to the course of this world, that there is evil in this world. There is uh, an evil one that is leading people astray. And all of us, apart from Christ, whether you were uh, a non-believing person or you were an unsaved person that was super religious, it comes in all varieties. You can have uh, from Vegas to Salt Lake City looking unsaved sort of people. All are of the darkness. And he says, before you walked, how you walked, you walked according to the course of this world. Then a few verses down in Ephesians 2.10, we see a good one. After we get to verse 8 and 9, for you're saved by grace through faith alone, he comes to verse 10, this beautiful verse that says, for we are his workmanship, uh, the word poema, his, his, that God is this artist and you are his painting, his picture created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so your life before Christ, you are walking according to the world. Your life in Christ now, there's a decision to be made. You, you can be in Christ and you can be a carnal Christian and uh, there are consequences in that. But as a believer, you're given the opportunity to walk according to the way that God desired you to walk, uh, that he's prepared good works for you to do. And Paul is pleading that we would walk in these good works. Going down to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see the word walked again in another positive light. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, remember this is sort of the, a tipping point in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are in large part a doctrine, and the last three chapters are, 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 are how you're to live it out, the, 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 praxis or the, the practical aspect of the doctrine, the truth that we know about God. And so he begins Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3 in this way, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, he's pleading, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so he's saying, I'm pleading with you to, to walk, to live your lives, to make decisions, to function in the midst of a community in a way that balances out or it lives up to the calling by which you have called by the example that Christ has set. He then, a few verses later in verse 17, he's going to get to a negative aspect of walking. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, he says, So this I say, and I affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk, that you, no, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, and their futility of mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This was written like 2,000 years ago. It's still as, as relevant as I could imagine because humanity hasn't changed. And th- this, this is saying that you in Christ have been given a new mind. And you're not to think like the world thinks anymore. The world is thinking along one path. They're darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their perspective of the world around them. They're dar- they're just, their whole worldview is off and wrong. And we're told that we're to walk differently, to have the mind of Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. We don't become God. Um, Amen. Yeah, I mean, I'd say. So, you know, one of the things when you go to Annapolis, one of the things you have to do is you have to eat crab. It's a, it's a brutal sport. Um, imitation crab is so much easier. And like, like, I almost would rather have imitation crab because it's just like you just pick it and eat it. And I'm, but I always tell people I'm like in the movie Ratatouille, I'm his brother that I don't really care. I just like, oh, it tastes fine to me. Um, but so we take the kids, you know, and we're like, you know, getting all bloody and trying to break those little guys open and, and uh, it's experience. But that's like the real deal. Imitation crab is like, looks like, tastes like, seems like it's not. And so this isn't saying that we're going to like, you know, become God, like, like, but, but we are to see God's character, his nature, how he thinks and views the world. And as we spend time with him, we become like him. And then we actually imitate God. And we become like him in our actions, in our interactions with one another. This was the part for me at the camp two weeks ago. Like Tuesday, Wednesday were great. Thursday was great until bedtime. Um, but when they said, Gunnar, you don't have to enforce the rules, I'm like, good, because if I have to approach young men and I start enforcing the rules, I don't go to pastor mode. I go to Navy SEAL instructor mode. And there were a couple times like when I had like the kid's hand, and I'm like, I'm about to break a finger because he was holding on to something, he won't let go. And I'm like, disengage. This isn't. And they're like, a lot of these kids, they came from Tree. Their parents are in prison. They've been kicked out of every single Christian camp from here to Lake Tahoe. And so we just want to demonstrate love to get them through. And I'm like, I wish you would have let me know before I signed up about that, you know, and like, where am I talking? I'm still, this is like therapy for me. So this is good. Um, oh yeah. Walk in love just as Christ in love. And I'm like, so these kids are like, what it's doing is it's exposing 
what's in me. Because my, my default wasn't like the love of Christ wasn't coming out. Gunner's flesh was coming out, and I wanted to like break the kid's finger because he was driving me crazy. Just being real here. And, and, and so then as I'm like going through this like torture chamber, it's exposing the like the uck that's in, in me. And, and it's like, no, 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 I need the love of Christ because like it's why I'm there. Yeah, unfortunately, this is why I keep going. It's like I'm like, I tell you, this might have been my curriculum. So we imitate God as we imitate God, as we walk with God, his love goes into us. He fills us up with his love. And over the course of our lives, like we should be known for his love within us, that we become the picture of God for people around us. He goes on to say in verse 7, Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 10, getting closer to where we are in our passage, he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. This, this is don't dabble with sin. Don't dabble in the world. Do not be partakers with them. This is very convicting. Early in my Christian life, I had to cut out friendships, dear, dear friendships. At that stage, now I'm back, have those friendships because I, I, like, I don't, I'm not partaking with them. But he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. It, I just want to highlight, it doesn't say that you were like in the shadows. It describes us, apart from Christ, as actual darkness, that we were the darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk, that word, walk as children of light. There's a way in which the children of light are uh, to walk and to go about their lives. You know, and one of the people that I was texting was like Grace at 11 o'clock at night on Tuesday at Julian saying, hey, Grace, I'm really thinking about just grabbing the car and uh, getting my bags packing up. So like, let's blow this joint at two in the morning. <laughs> like we can get out of here. They'll never know what happened. And then Grace came back with like, Dad, I don't want to be out of line, but like we're Hansons. We don't quit. And it's like, I know I've been struggling with this my whole life, you know, like, and so that's the kind of like the talk in our house is Hanson's, we don't quit. And, and if we're children of the light, that means something. If, if you have given your life to Christ and you're a child of God, you're a child of the light, and how we're to live our lives is to live it a certain way according to the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn. I love that, trying to learn. Amen. I'm still there. Um, what is pleasing to the Lord. And then we come to today's passage. Verse 15, the last time he's going to use this word walk, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. So, so walking as we go through this very much is the, the journey by which we call, like what we call life, like our, our life. From beginning to end, walking is how we go about our things. And he tells us to be careful, to be diligent, to be thoughtful. Don't just, I don't want to start speaking French because I'm going to do it wrong, but I think laissez-faire is French, but just to kind of meander through life, trying to like not knowing what's going on. He's telling us to, to be, be careful. Um, yesterday, um, 
one of the things I had to cut out in this lesson, something I actually wanted to go to, but in the scope of the last three weeks, I, one of the things I had to say no to was actually something I, like, I really wanted to go to. Um, yesterday was the 40th anniversary of SEAL Team 3, and alumni were invited to come down to see their new compound, and like, I was all signed up. I went through all the background checks, and I'm like, you know what, I, I just, I, I can't. I have to, it's not the right thing for me to do now in light of these other things. But the, the memories of going back there and thinking about diving, um, scuba diving at night, um, it's pitch black, there's lots of noises, it's, it's, if you're a pilot, it's, you know, like flying IFR is like the only thing, if you're not a pilot, it's like when you have nothing to go on except for the instruments in front of you, uh, th- there's a saying, I think amongst all diving, but particularly within like our kind of diving, is to plan your dive and then to dive your plan. And, and you don't make any sort of on-the-fly adjustments. And when you are on the dive, you are locked into your tack board, which is a, a compass, a depth gauge, and a clock. And you know like how far you have to swim at, at your speed before you have to make certain turns to get to your target. And if you make any sort of deviation, if your mind wanders, you're just in trouble. Like if you get off just by the slightest bit, it leads, there's disastrous consequences. And so I see Paul, be careful, be diligent, recognize that little, little compromises in your life lead to big problems. And I see this all the time with like young, young people and, old, and I think older people would, would acknowledge like in our own lives, like we, we see it in relationships, we see it in money, we see it in our, like, how we use our time, like, suddenly life just gets past us, and you're two decades down the road going, how did I get here? Well, if you were to back up the clock, and you see one little compromise, like, ah, this is okay, I can do this with this, per, and I can do this, and I'll do this, but I'll, I'll get back on track, or I'll, I'll just compromise a little bit here. It's these little things that lead to huge disasters. And Paul understands the brevity of life and how short of a time that we have and how valuable our time is on this life that God has given us and he's placed you where he's placed you and he's presented certain things for you to do and you only get these opportunities once to live and to serve him and once they're gone, they're gone. Weist, in his translation, he says this, be constantly taking heed how accurately you are conducting yourselves. He then continues and he says, that is, see to it that your conduct is accurate with respect to the demands of the word of God. It is like a motorist accurately following on the right side of the center line dividing traffic that we need to be careful that God has laid out certain things for us that are good for us, they're, they're, they're not harmful to us. He says, live your life according to this way and it will go well for you before him. Doesn't mean it'll be easy in this life. But Satan comes along and goes, oh, it'll just be easier if you just good, compromise in this area. Compromise in this relationship, compromise in this way. Oh, it's not really matter. You're not married now, but you're going to be married, so it's okay to compromise in that way. 
And Paul's saying, be very careful because it's so easy to get off track. I don't know if you guys know Jonathan Edwards. He was a, a pastor way back in American history. He was known for one of the revivals in American history. And at 20 years old, <clears throat> he made some resolutions. At 20 years old, there were 70 of them. And two in particular stood out to me. And I can't even imagine at 20 years old coming up with these resolutions. Like I'm almost 49 now, and I still can't imagine coming up with his resolutions. But his fifth resolution was this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Whew. Like if that was my only resolution. He wanted to acknowledge that every moment that he had was given to him as a gift from God and that God had something for him in that moment and he wanted to utilize that moment specifically and fully for God. Number 17 is one that I think we would all benefit from. I mean, obviously, we'd all benefit from a lot of his resolutions. But number 17, resolved that I will, resolve that I will live so as that, so, wait, okay, this is like old English. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. He's saying that when he comes to his deathbed and he looks back on his life, he's hoping that he did everything that he would value when he's 80 years old or however old he is when he came to die. This is looking at the end and going, when I'm on my deathbed about to meet my creator at 16 years old, at 17 years old, at 20 years old, am I making decisions that I am going to regret or not regret when I come to face my creator? His resolutions are intense, and I can only imagine what society would look like if all of us of all ages just put these two into practice. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. And so he splits people into two different categories. There's two different paths. You guys really didn't laugh last week, but I pity the fool was funny. Like, I just want to say publicly that you should pity the fool. Maybe we didn't laugh because we're all fools. And like, that's where, um, but, but this is like, the Bible talks about the fool and the wise person. And there's like, really, there's too many verses to choose from to like, like there's so many, like if you just read Proverbs, all of Proverbs is about the fool and the father trying to tell his son, don't be a fool. But the one that I thought that sort of like encapsulated what a fool is, there's two. In Psalm 14.1, the psalmist writes, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I think if you look at our society and you look at the, the talking heads and the things that are going on, if you remove God, you're removing accountability, you're removing standards and absolute truths. And so the fool begins by saying there is no God. They are free to live however they choose, however their heart leads them, however their flesh guides them. And then in Proverbs 26, verse 11, the second one on the fool that I, and the last one that I'll talk about that I thought was was uh, fitting. 
Proverbs 26.11 says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Just continually going back, doing the same stupid things with grave consequences. And then the wise man in scripture, again, there's so many, like you could read Proverbs every single day and just be filled with warnings about the fool, uh, encouragement to be wise. And in Proverbs 9.10, we're told there, uh, almost the exact opposite of Psalm 14.1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so here, the author of Proverbs says, if you want to be wise first, recognize God, that you have a creator, you have a sustainer, he's laid things out for you, and that is how you should form your life according to his plan, according to his ways, and if you do that, you will find wisdom. And if you're lacking wisdom, James, not these two Jameses, but James, uh, or three James. We got a lot of Jameses. So, uh, yeah, now I'm thinking about it. Um, James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him, which I find super encouraging. You lack wisdom, we all lack wisdom. We should be asking God, give us wisdom this day so that we can navigate the decisions that are before us. Uh, Marita says this, the fool lives recklessly. He flaunts folly, hangs with fools, and despises wisdom. The wise man, in contrast, values wisdom and pursues it diligently. I can tell you from experience, I know which one that I have regrets from. My life was marked with folly before Christ and many years after Christ. If I'm honest with myself, there's a, there's a bent within me, my sense of humor, like I appreciate a little bit of folly. And I know that in folly, in that side of my life, that is where the remorse lies. That is where my regrets, the wishing I could go back and relive life in a lot of ways. Living for God, there's been no regrets, like none. I only wish I could go back and slap around young Gunner and say, Gunner, fear God. But I know that that gunner would say to this gunner, and it's not appropriate for church. <laughs> so uh, verse 16. So then we come to sort of this, this crux, this, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. For most of my Christian life, I misunderstood this verse. I, 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 I understood it. I applied it sort of um, like as the, the type A Navy SEAL that I was. I viewed it as a, I don't want to say a very American way, but I think a very, and in a very American way. Like that's just, that's the reality. And to me, when I saw making the most of your time, that meant you need to cram as much as you can into your day uh, when I'd made the decision to, to walk away from the SEAL teams and go into the ministry, I started like cranking out degrees and education and like half the time that was like required for your degree, let's get it done in less than two. Three year master's degree, let's get it done in 18 months. And then by the time I was working on my doctorate, which I w- withdrew from and I didn't finish because God started convicting me, I then came to realize that this word time was not the time 
than I was understanding it to be. In the Greek, there are two words for time, maybe a third, but I know for sure two. Chronos is the time that we think of like a clock. There are 24 hours in a day, and you can cram as much stuff as you can in that 24-hour window, but all of us are only given 24 hours in one day. But then there's another word, kairos, which is a very different meaning of time. This, this speaks of within that 24-hour window, there are opportunities of, of situations and things that come before you. And you only have these opportunities once. And once they're past you, they're gone. It has nothing to do with filling your calendar up with stuff to do. Kenneth Wiest explains Kairos like this. The idea is not to make the best use of time as such, which is what we should do in the sense of not wasting it, but of taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. So it's not about productivity. It's about opportunity. And there are moments. Um, I'm so thankful for the last 16 years I've had at this church, coming to a church where, where the demographic was really people that were like over 80. Um, there just weren't, there weren't young people. And I'm so thankful for that because the wisdom you gain from hanging out with old people is insurmountable. Like, and, and their message I found is super simple. It's not complicated. It's your time is pa- your time is going faster than you recognize. I remember bringing home, or not bringing home, bringing Ellie to church. Like she's three days old. Old guy comes up, tears in his eyes, and says she's gone. I'm like, what do you mean? I just she still got the new car smell. <laughs> and he's like, she's gone. He's like, I just married, I married my daughter off this week, and it happens like fast. The time that you have with her is like this. And his point was, so often we go through life thinking that our career, making money, these pursuits are the things that matter at the end, and they're not. We neglect the things that are most important because we recognize, like, well, they'll be there at the end of the day. Well, maybe they won't be. And so how we go about our days, we really need to prioritize so that when we reach our deathbed, we don't say, you know what, I wish I would have done it differently. He says, therefore, in light of the previous statements, I don't really have much commentary on the next, the next phrase that says, don't be foolish. Does that need to be unpacked? I don't know what else I can say. Don't be a fool. Like, don't, like, like think. Be thoughtful. Line up your, your schedule in a way that matters for eternity. And the reality of that is it might mean, in, in an American setting, quite frankly, it might mean that you need to chop off a whole bunch of stuff so that you build and rest. He says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Imagine that, that your creator, the creator of the, the earth, the heavens, the stars, everything, that, that our creator has a plan for our lives and that he wants us to tune into him so that we could live our, way, our life in a way that has meaning and significance. 
and glorifies him. Paul in Romans 12.2, this is one of those verses that uh, was a theme of the camp this week or this summer, I guess. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're encouraged, if you want to know the mind of God, we'll be in his word. Put it into you. And as you put God's word in you through his spirit, he begins to transform you and change you. For this to happen, we have to slow down. Like the reality is we just have to slow down. We, this isn't done in a microwave. This is, this is like a slow roast that happens over time. I was thinking about the pulled pork. <laughs> you just, like wisdom comes with time. It comes through slowness. It comes through suffering. It comes through trials and really experiencing God through the highs and lows of life. And you don't get this just sort of zipping all over the place. John MacArthur says this. It's a little bit of a longer quote. He says, The proper sense of urgency, however, drives the wise believer to want more than ever to understand what the will of the Lord is. Because he knows that only in the Lord's will and power can anything good and lasting be accomplished. He will not be foolish by running frenetically in every direction, trying to see how many programs and projects he can become involved in. Such activity easily becomes futile and leads to burnout and discouragement because it works in the power, uh, because it works in the power of the flesh, even when it is well-intentioned. Trying to run ahead of God only puts us further behind in his work. He then later continues and he says, the work of many churches would be greatly strengthened if the number of its superfluous, is that that word, superfluous programs? Superfluous, that's it. Uh, Programs and activities were cut back and the Lord's will were sought more carefully and the principles of his word applied more faithfully. That last part of that quote really uh, touched my heart. Like one of the things I truly am deeply grateful for for the season of COVID is what it has done in our church life. Like there was like a stripping away and it's like, why are we doing this? Do we need to do this stuff? And somehow in this stripping away of things that, that quite frankly, so many things were, were planned in the schedule just so we would have something to put in the bulletin, like in the upcoming events. And in the slowing down, so much more depth came about within the community of our body that I'm just deeply thankful for. So what do we do with this? So in my curriculum, over the last few weeks, from my dad's funeral to the week at camp, like, I'm just super, like, Grateful for the input from, from my daughter to Anna to, to Rachel. Um, I got Rachel's permission, and I'm not even reading word for word, but she basically, uh, she said, I can only imagine, like, if I could put myself in those kids' situations in my story to experience the love of a person, how that would have impacted my life. Yeah. And ultimately what they did is they made... Gunner stepped back out of the little like misery that I was in 
and to recognize that there was something bigger going on. And I wasn't there for my own comfort. I'm not there for my own fun. I'm there to demonstrate the love of Christ in these kids' lives. And I may not see it this, I I didn't see it this week. (laughs) Like, I didn't. But I have no idea what God is doing in those guys' lives. And then I come back from that to then like, going, okay, I can just like rest and I can like just kind of chill and catch my breath to where Anna's like has these like abdominal pains and it's like, oh no, like we don't, nobody wants to go to the doctor for all kinds of reasons. You don't want to pay for it. You don't want to like go to it. You don't want to be there. Although the emergency room is great people watching. Like that was a, that, like a people watching was epic on that day. Um, and so like I'm, I'm going, like, as the weeks unfold, I'm like, I just need to cancel this stuff. I'm going to cancel the, the 43 union at SEAL Team 3. I'm normally, for those of you who know, like, I haven't had, like, three weeks of Spanish with my teachers. I'm like, I'm going to cancel all of them. But then I'm like, you know what? I just can't cancel one. And there's this one of my, you know, teachers, she's become a friend, Alba. I'm like, I know, I'm not going to cancel that one. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to cancel that one. Because I know that during our break, we hadn't been there. I knew she's, she's like Melanie's age. Like there's a little connection, but like Melanie lost her mom right after Melanie's mom was lost. She lost her dad. And she texts us, hey guys, I just want you to know my dad passed away. And I'm like, I need to, I need to like have them meet just to meet with her. And so on Thursday afternoon, I'm just like, hey, how are you doing? And you know, she's crying and, and, and in Spain, the, the gospel, there isn't like churches in Spain. Like this is like, there's nowhere to point her. And then she asked me, she's like, well, what about your religion? Like, what do you think about death? And like, explain to me. She speaks no English. And so then I'm like, okay. So I started explaining the gospel to her. And then I see Anna like pop her head into the garage. And I was like, okay, she can hear. I'm like, like come rescue me. And Anna just smiled and just stepped away. <laughs> And it's like that time, that hour that I had talking about God and like just picking up my Spanish Bible and like saying like, you know what? Telling her like when I lost my buddy when I was 20 years old, God used this verse. And I'm like reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to her in Spanish, butchering it, I'm sure. It was like so meaningful. And, and, I, and I bring this to light because it's like you don't know the significant moments the things that we think are insignificant might be actually very significant, and the things that we think are important might be things that we need to say, I, I know what, I need to like not do this. We're faced with hundreds of decisions every single day. And in the midst of these decisions, there's a battle raging for you to make the wrong or the right decision. And so we desperately need God to lead us through our decisions. And as we walk with him, as his, as his spirit fills us and we're led by his spirit, we're enabled to make choices that have lasting results. A few years ago, um, I, I was asked to go to a, a guy, um, he's native, and he, his wife uh, lost their baby. And he texted me to like come over and ultimately I was invited to do uh, the funeral for this, this child that was born at like eight months passed away. And I just remember like I was driving there 
like just kind of like I am so like out out of my depth with this one. And so then I turned on the radio. And then I heard for the first time this song by Matt Maher. I think that's how you say his name. Maher, Maher. Huh? Yeah, I mean, nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> but this song, Lord, I Need You. And so I turned it on, and this, the lyrics are, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. So teach my song to rise to you. And when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I look at this passage, I think this song sort of encapsulates the message of, of what we're to do. Apart from him, we're, we're nothing. Apart from him, we can't make decisions. And so what he wants us to be doing is to be seeking him throughout the day, asking him for guidance. He wants to lead us. He wants to convict us. He wants to steer us in the way that's best for us and will bring him the most amount of glory. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who is real. We thank you that you are a God who is personable. We thank you that you care about our thoughts. You care about our actions. You care about the decisions that we make day in and day out. And Father, we acknowledge that our flesh is strong. Our culture is strong. The influences in our lives are strong. And these voices, these influences, our flesh within, they want to pull us away from you. And so my, my prayer is a prayer of this song, Lord. We acknowledge that we need you. And so, Father, I pray that you would insert yourself in our lives in a way that causes us to reach out for you, causes us to, to long for you, causes us to long for your word, to long for intimacy with you. For we know that in that place, it's the only place that's secure. It's the only place that will produce true, lasting results. We thank you that you're this kind of God. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.